All right. Well, happy uh, post-Easter, everyone. This is uh, Brandon Shields, and I am here today with Hannah Anderson, uh, our visiting teacher at SOMA, and we'll talk more about what all that means here in just a moment. But uh, we are so glad to be joining you again uh, on this SOMA Midtown podcast. Uh, Hannah, how was your Easter? I know you guys, this is, uh, you guys are learning a new rhythm of Easter now, not being uh, in pastoral ministry. How was, how was your time with your family in Easter in this bizarre, almost but not yet, end of COVID season? Yeah, well, first, let me just say it's great to be back with you um, talking on this podcast and being here with all of our listeners. Um, Easter was, it was really good, but it was complicated. Um, I was awoken Easter morning at 1220. I think it was like 1220 in the morning um, by a sound that I knew I didn't know what it was, but I knew it wasn't right. Um, so my Easter started very early Easter morning and I got up out of bed, went down my hallway and the sound was coming from my living room. And sure enough, there was my cat over a baby bunny. Well, to, oh. be, to be clear, it was one baby bunny sleeping in hope of the resurrection <laughs> and one that was trying to escape that hope and survive this life. And so I I just walked into this really bizarre, dark Easter moment really early on Easter Sunday. And I just, I thought this is, this is what it means to celebrate Easter in the already not yet. It really is this mix of life and hope and the potential for, you know, goodness and spring. And then the cat that comes in and does his thing. So it was a very realistic Easter. It was a very realistic start to it. But after we got that over with, um, we had a good weekend. So, well, we too had a death and resurrection experience uh, for the second time in three years, four years. Our washing machine died on Easter weekend and it didn't really rise again. We just got a new one, but there was a sense of newness, the, the new creation breaking in. Uh, much to my, uh, Emily's, Emily's not a, not a big fan of this rhythm that we've developed. So um, for whatever reason, we just seem to experience the curse in very profound ways on Easter weekend. Uh, and, and let the reader understand, the listener understand too, that um, you're a cat person. I, I, I want everybody to understand that. I too am a cat person, but I am living in a dog family. And so I was, I had cats as, as a kid. My wife's not a big fan of cats because they jump up on the counter and she likes kind of clean, kitchen and just, you know, personality wise, definitely more of a dog person. So I, I lost that battle in my family. The, I'm the only cat person in my family, but I just wanted to point out that you two are a cat person. Yes. I have a very conflicted relationship when I walk in on my cat at midnight on Easter morning and he's crouched over the carcass of a sweet little rabbit because I love my cat. I, I love my cat deeply. And Yet here we are. And and I just, it, I don't know, perhaps I'm a little, I, I read meaning to everything. So you, you know, folks have to understand that too. But I just, I see this tension in the natural world. And I think, yes, this is what we're living in. This, this is life right here, life and death and waiting um, for all that we celebrate on Easter to actually come true for the time when the cat and the bunny rabbit can play together in the oh. peaceable kingdom. <laughs> yes. 
Yes, a, a fresh application of Isaiah um, and Revelation, which we looked at over the weekend. Well, that's a great segue into why we are doing this podcast more than talking about uh, cats and bunnies and dogs and washing machines. We are here to talk about wholeheartedness and really to think together about nature um, and natural revelation as an expression of, uh, as a pathway towards wholeheartedness. And so for those who've been following kind of our annual priorities at church this year, you know that we are talking about what it looks like to be a more wholehearted community. And really simply, I mean, wholeheartedness is kind of a, a buzzword. You got, you know, Brene Brown and everybody else in the, in the world talking about wholeheartedness. And I think it's a good thing. Uh, biblically for us, we see that as, as really central to kind of the biblical narrative of what God's doing in his people. He's, as the psalmist says, uh, is praying for and longing for kind of an undivided heart, a sense of wholeness uh, inside and out. And so we've talked about that in terms of being able to, to really give and receive love in a time when there's so much division, uh, both externally and then most importantly, internally, even in our own souls. What does it look like for us to become a people that are formed into a more wholehearted uh, vision for ourselves? And also specifically this year, we're focusing on our relationships. And so um, one of the reasons I'm excited, Hannah, about you being here at our church, being a visiting teacher, helping us to kind of deepen our understanding of, um, of this topic is that is you have a lot of uh, expertise here. You, we've written a lot into this area and your new book, Turning of Days, which we'll be talking about here on this podcast, really is is designed to help open up the natural. I've been using it actually for my devotion. And as we kind of merge out of this dark, dark winter, a COVID winter, second COVID winter kind of, and into um, into the spring, your your book really speaks a word to natural revelation and what we can learn from nature uh, about uh, ourselves, about God, about the world, about the Holy Spirit and his work in our lives. So talk to me a little bit about um, how how you see that planning, because I think nature is one of those things that like some of us are drawn to, some of us maybe you're afraid of because, um, you know, we, really, we, we, we see God speaking through scripture, and that's certainly true, but um, we're a little bit maybe nervous or skeptical when it comes to, you know, seeing and sensing and hearing God's voice through nature. And so Talk to us a little bit about that and how this book um, leads us into that. Well, you know, my own spiritual formation, um, I, I had the happy providence, the good luck to have been formed in spaces that were deeply committed to the scripture and also um, very close to the earth. So as a child, I grew up in rural spaces. My family had a 10-acre homestead that was connected to family land, um, but we are also deeply invested in uh, the church community we were part of and biblical literacy. And so I had this experience that I didn't understand was unique. I didn't understand that... Um, a lot of folks in the modern age are not able to tap into these parallel sources of revelation. And so coming into my own adulthood and spiritual formation, there were a lot of things that um, clicked for me or were in place for me that I, I really took for granted. And it wasn't until um, my husband, Nathan, um, came from a similar background. It wasn't until we were well into married life, you know, 15 years into married life where we looked at each other and we recognized, we're like, oh, these are very deep realities and deep categories um, that 
were planted in us by a certain life that helped us not only understand ourselves, but helped us understand scripture. And so when I think of um, this idea of natural revelation, or sometimes it's called general revelation, it's simply the fact that, that God created the world with a certain shape and with a certain way of working that give us these basic categories for flourishing, for shalom, for integration, um, for kind of a holistic cooperative life. And obviously the creation is under the curse and we see a lot of brokenness as is attested to my cat waking me up on Easter morning uh, over the body of a poor, sweet little baby bunny. But the, the goal within the natural world is life and flourishing. And really that is the goal of our Christian life. Um, it's the goal of redemption is to bring peace and shalom um, to the creation again. And so as I um, kind of came into my own adulthood, watching the kind of patterns and rhythms that were in place for, for me, Nathan and I, you know, live in a somewhat rural area and are very attuned to these things. We also recognize that it, it shaped our understanding of the scripture as much as anything else too. And so when we came to this project with Turning of Days, um, one of the things we wanted to offer people was an access point to that same experience um, to help readers develop rhythms of observation, of attention, of being in the world that really we had been given without even recognizing that that was the gift that was being given to us in our childhoods. Um, so so for us, our, I guess, it's in a way our own personal experience has affirmed what the scripture teaches to be true. You know, um, Psalm 19 talks about the heavens declaring the glory of God and teaching without words. But later in that same Psalm, it talks about um, loving the law of God and the, the, the written revelation of God and this kind of convergence, this natural partnership um, I think that works together to form us in wholeheartedness. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, you know, I was thinking about that Sunday we preached from Revelation 21 about the new creation. And in that passage, you know, John's uh, saying like the heavens coming down to earth and the future is broken into the present. And he uses all of these, uh, I kind of called it like the grand finale, like I think the end of, of like a big fireworks show on 4th of July. It's like his grand finale where he's bringing together like garden it's all very like natural embodied physical stuff you know the the garden is there um temple and tabernacle imagery city even so it's like this and it's interesting because there's just an abundance of of natural things that are there but it's it's this intensification i think the idea of the city is like it's intensified it's more density it's more radiant it's more uh, it's full it's complete you know that's the idea even around the the numbers, the tens of thousands of numbers, not like a code to be cracked, but just the idea of completion and fullness. And I even saw for the first time, like I didn't even recognize like the tree of life is on both sides of the river that comes down the street. So it's not like a tree, but like a grove and like forests and probably like an entire wonderland of nature, but centered in the middle of the city. It's really interesting, but but it's it's God's commitment there in the new creation is not that, you know, like, like a five-year-old coming in after you're you know, one of your older kids has been working on Legos and just brushing the whole thing off the table, but it's really, it's the completion. It's everything brought to fullness and fruition. And that's a really, I, I think we, we sometimes downplay that. Um, but nature has so much to teach us about 
what it means to be wholehearted. And, and what I love about that, I mean, I'm an urban guy, I'm a city guy. Um, I'm not, a, I'm not, a, I didn't come from, you know, rural area. Um, so I'm sorry, Hannah, to dis- you know, disappoint those who um, maybe want heaven to come down as a big farm or a big forest or even a beach uh, would be nice. But, but it's, you know, it's, it, it is interesting. Like we tend to think of uh, nature in certain ways in the West, you know, and I know you've taught, you've kind of written on that and thought about that, but like, for some of us, we want to get back to like this pristine pre-urban natural state. Um, but talk to me a little bit about how you see nature kind of helping us in our pursuit of wholeheartedness. You're absolutely right about this division that in the modern West we have between almost like the city and the garden. Like we do see these things as opposed and we also kind of want to escape to nature. So, so we find nature as an important thing, but we think it's more about a place you go to. Like you leave your house, you leave um, the city and you go out and you escape to nature, you escape to the mountains, you escape camping. But I I think that really does us a disservice to, to the recognize the fact that we are like surrounded by the creation at all times, even within the city. I mean, plants grow in the city you know, even if they grow in pots, they grow and we are surrounded by the elements and the weather at all times. And so there is this kind of fragmentation in our mind when we think about the creation, we think of it as something out there that we go to. And I find that even when people read my writing, they they want to escape to the location that I'm in. So they're like, oh, if I could just live in a space like you live, if I could just have this land or if I could just have this, um, then I could be at one with nature. And so I think that's one way we think about it. I think, um, you know, of course, questions of stewardship and conservation come up when we're talking about nature, we need to save the planet. Um, We need to be responsible stewards of what God has given and trusted us in creation. But when I think about even how we interact with nature in the scripture, we see the illustrations or we see the references to nature, I think one of two ways. We either see it as, oh, those are illustrations that made sense for people who lived in an agrarian society. I mean, how many times do we say things like, um, well, the people in this time period knew what a farm was like, as if you know we don't. So these are just illustrations for them and not for us. But, but as I've studied the scripture and I've kind of given thought to this, I think what we're missing is the fact that these are categories of reality for all time, for all peoples, no matter where you live, no matter where you exist. So when the scripture talks about a seed falling into the ground to die and bring forth you know, uh, fruit beyond itself. And it, it links that to Jesus Christ dying and being resurrected. That's not just something that people who farm understand. And therefore this is an illustration for them. The, the way God made the world to work is on this principle of death and resurrection, of sacrifice leading to the salvation of many, of, you know, this this loss, this um, temporary loss, bringing forth abundance and glory. So one of the things, if we're not kind of attuned to this and giving attention to it, is we're going to miss the fundamental shape and categories about how God created the universe to work, not just how nature works or how the forests work or, or that whatever we do in our mind to create, um, to put creation in this space that is kind of manageable 
and boundaried. Well, thank goodness that God made a farmer, uh, Hannah. So I don't know if you remember the, uh, all of us that live in cities watching that commercial, you know, a couple of years ago. Uh, but yeah, I think you're saying there's a deeper, there's a deeper logic to, uh, the way God's designed the universe that is lost when we, when we lose touch with nature. I mean, we, we lose touch with, um, our bodies. I mean, I think about this so much of life in the city is artificial. It's, it's mm-hmm. like, it's curated and it's, it's run on technology. It's run on kind of, uh, conquering the natural world, actually not really slowing down to pay attention to it, whether you have a small patch of ground with a few trees and some bushes, uh, or even like a lot of people are, you know, into urban farming, um, trying to recreate, you know, natural, the natural world within their own backyards. But even that is, you lose some of the wildness, you, you lose some of the, the larger categories that you see when you get outside the city. And I think that it, it, it's like we suffer from a poverty of imagination, you know, and again, it's, it's not to, to in any way obscure or marginalize the centrality or the, the significance of scripture as, you know, kind of special revelation or primary revelation to us. Uh, but it's to say, if we lose this, it's almost like two pedals on a bike you know, both have to be kind of going in parallel for us to be able to really understand the fullness of what God's trying to teach us through our five senses, you know? And I think sometimes the, temp- the temptation is to kind of want to bifurcate those or kind of uh, separate those or uh, obscure one at the expense of the other. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you've said in terms of the way they work together. And it's not so much about location as it is about perception, Um, your awareness of where you are and what's happening around you. And even within terms of our own bodies. I mean, this, to me, this is a question of our loss of embodiment, Um, not just the bodies that we exist in, but the the material world around us, our bodies are taken from the earth. Um, We are dust and to dust, we will return. And insofar as we don't have categories to think well about our own bodies, we probably also don't have categories to think well about the earth from which they are taken and to which which they will return. So to mm-hmm. me, this is also bundled up in pursuing wholeheartedness is this um, embrace of all that God has created and all the ways that he reveals himself and all the ways that we are formed spiritually. It's not just, um, okay, let's give attention to the natural world because we love creation and we find it very inspiring and it makes for nice Instagram posts, um, which it does. But the point is that there is this embodied reality that God has created in which we exist. This is the realm in which we are living and our lives are playing out and giving attention to that, uh, whether it is in the city, whether it's the plant that's on your windowsill, whether it's the bird that's singing in the tree outside um, your door, these kind of uh, small tweaks and attunement is going to open up an access point and an avenue through which we can um, see God's glory in a way we might not have been able to see it otherwise. And and what's fascinating to me is even for those of us who are deeply invested in scripture as um, specific revelation that reveals the son of God, that reveals the ways of redemption, um, the scripture itself speaks about this nature nature this way. Um, It's Romans 1 that says the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen in the natural world. It's um, Job 12 
where uh, God tells Job to ask the animals and to, to speak to the creation if he needs more information about how to trust God and how to understand um, what God is doing. It's, it's Jesus' own teaching where he says, consider the lilies or pay attention to the birds. And, and I think how easily we rush past that word consider the lilies as if he's just waving his hand in an illusion, you know, just think about these things. But, but there's a, there's an intensity there of give attention to this, see what your father is doing for them. Understand how this is working because then you'll understand something more about his care for you. Mm, That's so good. So one of the things we're doing to help us with this rhythm of uh, paying attention contemplating nature as a pathway to towards wholeheartedness um, and really towards spiritual formation and discipleship uh, more broadly is uh, reading your book together as a church. So the next seven weeks, we're going to be working through this. And for those who might be new to uh, this book, it's a, it's a really interesting um, way that you've laid this out, you know, so it's, it's not just like a, a, sto- a narrative, but it's kind of a collection, right, of uh, kind of an anthology of essays as you're reflecting on the different seasons. So talk to us about how, how, we, sh- how we could engage this book over the next uh, several months in a way that might draw our attention to some of this. I mean, it's, it's so rich, right? I, I like just reading it devotionally, we learn about spring peepers, which I had no idea was a thing. Um, we, we, we learn about morals. I think that's how you pronounce it. Or morals. Uh, you could tell I'm not from Indiana, but like Indiana people, that is a thing. Like they hunt morals. Is it morals? Morels. Morels. At least they that's the way hunt. we say it here. Okay. They hunt morels. Uh, and like, uh, you're getting a phone call. Uh, they, they, they hunt morels uh, in the spring. And that's like a multi-generational thing that's passed down from father to son and mother to daughter uh, that I've heard a lot of people talk about here. Uh, so yeah, like what, how should people engage that and, and, um, and read this in a way that might produce some of that, uh, learning and, uh, formation in their own lives? Well, one of the first things you learn about, um, creation, once you start to give attention to it is that it interrupts your, um, cycles. It interrupts your busyness. It interrupts your need to push and produce and accomplish because so much of what happens in the natural world has to follow its own life cycle. And all of that takes a long time. And so one of the things that, um, I wanted to do with this book is to slow everybody down and give everybody permission to not read straight through in this rush to get it finished. And, and so part of framing it the way I did as a collection of essays. There's 28 essays through four seasons, um, seven essays per each season, was to give the reader time to read one entry and sit with it. Because that's exactly how we have to give attention to the natural world. Um, In our rush for productivity and our rush to accomplish things, um, we often operate on very unnatural rhythms. And I think about even the changes that have happened to human society with the advent of electricity, um, with lights that we can stay up late and accomplish more. And so as you move into greater attention and attunement with the natural world, you'll also recognize the degree to which your own rhythms and cycles maybe um, need permission to just slow down. So I would suggest as folks are reading through this to take the time they need um, 
even if you just make it through spring over the next few weeks, if you just process the essay, there's one essay, and then I have scriptural um, passages that you can look up and see how the scripture is teaching these same truths within um, the, the specific revelation that we're seeing in general revelation. Um, and, and the habit too is to do it daily, to, to come back to it, to keep returning again and again and again, and to establish that kind of liturgy or rhythm um, that is necessary for any type of formation. Mm. Yeah. One of the things I'm really excited about with this book is I think the integration of this with the teaching series that we have coming up here uh, starting this Sunday. So this Sunday, we're going to be kicking off a seven week series looking at the fruit of the spirit. And again, this is one of those things where like you can kind of make this like a metaphor and really kind of disconnect this from the reality and the logic underneath uh, that. But I think it's one of the reasons why we want to take this podcast and, and set this up in terms of revel natural revelation or the natural world is like, you know, Paul is drawing on these uh, deep, uh, these ways that God has designed us to flourish and designed the world to flourish. Jesus talked about this as we think about the fruit of the spirit. He talked about fruit a lot. Um, uh, you know, John 15 one, being one of my favorite examples where he talks about uh, a vine and abiding in or resting in or making our home and uh, being connected kind of in a meaningful way uh, to the vine, to Jesus himself as the vine, drawing on lots of, uh, you know, kind of Old Testament references in Isaiah and Jeremiah and other places. Uh, but just, you know, thinking about like this organic process of drawing nutrients and life from uh, Jesus himself. And, and then out of that, then coming fruit. And it's this interesting kind of like, grace and grit, active and passive thing, right? Passive in the sense that this is God's work. God is the vine dresser. He is the vine. He connects us to Jesus by faith. He unites us to him by faith. And it's only as Jesus says in him uh, and in communion with him, in union with him, that we can bear fruit. And yet there's still this call to, to cultivate. There's still a call to, to, to bear fruit and to, you know, actively pursue something that's passive. It's kind of a strange paradox. And so we want to give this kind of background to uh, how the natural world, world works, because I think there are analogies that there's a logic that we can borrow from as we think about the work of the spirit in our own lives here in the season leading up to Pentecost and the life of the spirit and the, the resurrection power that's available to us that we want to draw on and, and really integrate this book um, with that so that we can maybe see things from a more uh a richer perspective and really understand that again, as urban people to whom some of this is foreign, although some of us maybe grew up in small towns in Indiana and have seen this at play. Um, we want to make sure that we understand uh, and are able to enter into that reality with the spirit to see again. And, and kind of the idea is like, we want to create the culture. We want to like cultivate this as a culture. It really is a counterculture, right? That's kind of the thing we're going to be looking at throughout the series is what does it look like to be a counterculture? There's a dominant culture that is being sewn into us on a daily basis. We're being formed, we're being discipled, being shaped um, by a different vine, by a, a secular narrative um, here in the West. And so what does it look like? And so we're going to be kind of taking each week in the sermon series and contrasting life in the spirit with, um, with kind of a life in the flesh or a life apart from God. And, um, and so we're going to be looking at, you know, what does it look like to be people of love in a time of selfishness? What does it look like to be people of joy in a time of despair, people of peace 
in a time of anxiety, people of patience in a time of reactivity uh, and hurry, people of kindness in a time of harshness, people of goodness in a time of brokenness and faithfulness in a time of compromise, gentleness in a time of violence, and then self-control in a time of self-fulfillment. So uh, Hannah, how do you see this uh, kind of working itself out? I, you know, this this is a big metaphor, obviously, in scripture. Um, how do you see this working itself out? And how do you see, I know you had an excerpt, actually, that you wanted to read from Turning of Days that will kind of get us into this. But yeah, what do you see there? Yeah, well, you know, it's fascinating by the time you hit Galatians 5 and you read what Paul has written about the fruit of the Spirit, and then he lists these virtues, um, that word fruit is carrying so much meaning. It's packaged into that. There's so many categories and such a rich understanding that when he chooses that analogy, he's assuming that we understand how fruit production works. He's assuming that we understand everything, not just from the world around us, but from scripture, from the very beginning, things like Genesis saying that um, a tree produces after its kind. So whatever that tree is, that's the fruit that's going to come from the life of that tree. So there's this kind of integration and wholeness there. Um, he's borrowing on um, the idea that, um, you know, Christ himself was a fruitful tree and that he was a branch that brought forth goodness into the world. And so um, all of that kind of um, understanding is packaged up in that word fruit. And if we don't have that understanding, we could easily come to a passage like that and see this list of virtues and just read it as, oh, I want to be a spirit-filled Christian. Therefore, I need to just do these things. I need to love and I need to be patient and I need to you know, exercise self-control and I need to be, be good. Um, and that's not at all what the, the, the categories are within that context. Um, and when I think about how the scripture uses this metaphor of fruit, um, I wanted to share a particular parable um, that I came across when I was studying to write Turning of Days. And for some reason, it was a parable that I had completely missed. Like I read it and it was like the first time I'd ever seen it. And I have read the Bible through many times in my life. And, and I couldn't believe that this had escaped my attention. And I wrote about it in uh, one of the early essays in the book in spring. So I just wanted to read a part of that um, to give us uh, these categories about how fruit happens. And, and this is in an essay about soil and the effect that cultivating our hearts has on our ability to produce fruit. The good news about soil even poor soil, is that it can be cultivated. You may not be able to control the kind of ground you inherit, but you can control what you do with it. The good news about those who've been made from the earth is that we too can be cultivated. Because there's another story Jesus tells his disciples. A landowner has a fig tree that isn't producing fruit, so he decides to cut it down. Why should it use up the soil, he reasons. But a wise servant steps in and says, Sir, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. So often we focus on poor quality fruit or lack of yield and throw up our hands in defeat. In reality, the questions are more fundamental. Do you want a good crop? Do you want to see the fruit of goodness in your life and in those you love? Do you want to see a harvest of righteousness? Don't cut the tree down, cultivate the soil.
see what happens. And I can't think, I can't help but think of all the ways I've been worked over, how many ways and how many times my heart has been broken open, the weeds stripped out and the rocks dislodged. I can see how the father's working his soil like any faithful gardener would. I see how he's tending his bit of earth, how he's cultivating the ground until it's honest and good and ready to receive his word. And I'm confident that just as he did in Eden, he will cause even the smallest of gardens to flourish with life. Yeah, that's so rich. That's so good. I love, I love uh, that. And I think that again, that just, I love the, the way that you're, you're drawing us back to scripture and you're showing us ways that um, nature and scripture complement each other. I think this is, this is an important voice. We, we, we miss this voice. Um, and yet, man, like just thinking about uh, the ground we inherit, thinking about our families of origin, thinking about the ways we're formed in culture, thinking about all the different inheritances that we have. Um, and yet the hopefulness that even, even a tree that's not bearing fruit is given, Jesus gives time and gives space for God to, to fertilize and to grow it. And to me, I think in a season, again, coming out of like a really hard winter and a really hard year, um, I long for the, that goodness in my own life. I long to see uh, signs and symbols and uh, foretastes of the new fruit and that God is, is bringing about even in the church and my own life and my family um, and, and in our uh, larger culture. And to think about the church as the, the kind of incubator for that goodness, as the, the plot of land that God is using to display what he wants to do in the larger world. Um, man, I'm, I'm just, Hannah's really excited about reading through this book, about learning more about this on this journey with you um, and uh, and doing this podcast together over the next several weeks. So as we just wrap up here, any just like closing thoughts and encouragement as we get into this series, as we teach on this, as we kind of reflect here um, on this new season, it's, uh, it's, it's spring outside. I think at least in Indiana, it's, it's mostly here. It's going to be in the eighties this week. We're seeing the sunshine out. I think there's a, there's a hopefulness that's dawning for us. Um, so yeah, any just encouragements as we close up here today? Well, I would just say that um, one of the things you learn watching the natural world too is that everything has a season and that God has promised to be faithful to bring forth whatever is supposed to happen within that season. And so looking forward even to this study of the fruit of the spirit, I think as we listen and as we learn together, um, just to have an openness that this season will produce what the spirit wants to produce um, in it and that we just get to go along in partnership with him. Mm, yeah, that's good. That's a good word. Well, hey, thanks. Thanks again for being on here with me. Yeah, Hannah, really excited about doing this over the next several weeks. If you're listening in, again, I want to encourage you to pick up uh, Turning Up Days. We have them available on Sundays for a small donation uh, or you can go on Amazon and pick them up on your own. Um, and don't forget to also pick up our Community Rule of Life, which kind of helps us get into scripture and prayer and fasting and Sabbath rhythms that uh, will help us kind of steep in this. We're reading through the book of Galatians, reading through uh, the book of Luke as we want, we see the spirits work in the early community and uh, and their uh, in Galatians and the, the life of that community as well. And so I want to encourage you to pick those up and uh, yeah, join us again next week. We'll have a new episode out and we'll be looking at love and what it looks like to, to live a life of love in a time of uh, hatred and division. So thanks for listening today.